You are listening to the Bethel Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Bethel Church in Yale, South Dakota. Good morning, church. How are you guys doing today? So glad to see you all. Uh, Pastor Colt, tell me when uh, one, two, three hour, four hour sermon, five hour sermon. Guys, get ready. I got my tea. I hope you've got your coffee because we're going in. We don't need lunch today, okay? We're going all the way through dinner. Uh, Well, thank you so much for inviting my wife and I. Uh, She's in the front row. She's normally a back row Baptist. We come from a Baptist background, but I said, no, you got to come to the front this time. Um, but we're, we're glad to be here. Uh, we flew all the way from California just to be here with you guys in South Dakota this morning. And uh, Pastor Colt said it. We are, we are glad to um, be working at James Valley Christian School. I'll be the new Bible teacher. So you can call me Charlie at, at church. But at school, if, you're, if you go to James Valley, you got to call me Mr. Borchard, okay? Or coach, either one. You choose. Um, and Pastor Colt, when he, he, he was uh, in strife and he said, oh, I just wish I could find a way to inflict some suffering on my congregation. And I said, stop, no, say no more. I'm your guy. Invite me to preach and they'll be done by the time I'm done. Okay. No, he, he didn't really say that. He didn't really say it. But yeah, we moved all the way from California where you would think is a nice place, you know, beaches or whatever to, to South Dakota. And we haven't looked back yet. We like being here. Uh, one of the, one of the interesting things is we, uh, God's providence is so cool. We heard a little bit of God's providence about the wrestling camp and how people came to Christ. So many people, even some of the people working the clinic and in God's providence, we, we know, we trust in that, that Evie and I were always meant to be coming out here to South Dakota to work at James Valley Christian. And something that you don't say in the interview is I actually already know what I'm going to get the job. You know, <laughs> I already know it's, it wasn't like a, Oh, I'm, I think I'm so qualified. It was more like we feel confident and confirmed that as soon as we saw the job posting, that this is going to be the place for us. So we never said that in the interview, Mrs. Klein Saucer. I don't know. I don't see you out here, but, um, we, uh, we felt that and, and we, we believed that we were confident in it. So we're just glad to be here. Thank you for having us. So we look forward to making this place more of our home. Uh, so, uh, along the along the lines of making you suffer, let's turn to Psalm 119 for my uh, for for a specific sermon that I handpicked just for you guys. Okay, Psalm 119, specifically verses 161 through 168. Psalm 119. Verses one six one through one six eight. I've got a little slide here, a little picture slide for you. Let's see if I can bring it up. So you don't need to point it. There we go. Okay, so this is where we're from. This is Lake Elsinore. Most of Southern California is actually a huge desert. And so when you think of like sprawling, like beautiful beaches and palm trees, that's like on the coast. But if you're like most Californians, you live inland. So Southern California is mostly desert. And this is my hometown, Lake Elsinore. It's got everything you would find in a desert, except we got a stinky little a little lake. Okay, so it, it doesn't smell too good. But we got a lake, and people like it. It's, it's known for its lake. And the crazy thing about the desert, as, as you can expect, it doesn't rain very much. And so you guys have a lot of rain. I was told that wouldn't happen. And I've heard that your winters are really warm and that your summers are really cool. So we're glad to be here. <laughs> 
Uh, but this is my hometown. It's Lake Elsinore. You can see kind of at the top of the picture a road that goes through. That's Interstate 15. It comes from Mexico all the way northeast through some states, and it goes right through my hometown. And sometimes we get a little bit more than a couple inches of rain every year. Sometimes we get an El Nino. Have you guys heard that before? An El Nino is a tropical storm. It comes up from Mexico, and it hits California and some other states, and it brings with it a whopping four or five inches of rain. So that's great. Uh, A lot of rain for us. When there's a right mixture of rain and fertile soil, Every so often, every other season or so, we get a super bloom. Have you guys heard of a super bloom before? A super bloom, well, it, it's, this is not it. This is, this is another picture of my hometown, but uh, it, this is Lake Elsinore, and it looks really beautiful, but the caption for this on Google was actually uh, <laughs> harmful algae infects Lake Elsinore, so <laughs> uh, it looks nice. But a super bloom is when the desert gets enough rain to sustain life, and flowers start to come up. The state flower is the poppy, and so all these orange flowers that you see, those are poppies, and the whole desert gets lit up with this vibrant, vibrant orange. And I have lived there my whole life, 23 plus years, I'm I'm older than 23, but I lived there for a cumulative amount of 23, 24 years, and I've actually never once, I've seen super balloons come and glow, never once have I stopped and looked at the flowers. I've lived there most of my life. I've traveled down local roads. When I, uh, most recently when we were out there, I drove that interstate two times a day. And uh, that corridor has a lot of beautiful orange flowers. But believe it or not, this season was the first time, the very first time that I ever stopped. I got out, went up a large hill with my wife and my sister, and we looked at the poppies. But do you know what shocked me the most, though? What shocked me the most when I looked at these poppies, the bright, vibrant orange that you see, is that when you get closer, when I got up close, I could see what was really going on. Remember, I drive by this exact spot, or I drove by this exact spot twice every day. I never got out, but it wasn't until this season that I finally stopped, got out, and looked. And when I looked, oh, there's us. So so cute. (laughs) One more here. There we go. When I got out and looked, it wasn't just orange. When I got out and looked, there were some purple, some thorny purple flowers. There were some white flowers. There were some orange mustard flowers. It was all going to die in a week or so because it's the desert, but it was beautiful while it lasted. I never gotten out to look, and so therefore I never went up close and saw that there wasn't just orange flowers. The most advanced and I think expertly produced computer graphics probably wouldn't be able to come close to how beautiful this place looked in real life uh, for the first time compared to killer algae. Beautiful flowers is a nice contrast. I think Psalm, uh, and actually I think, I think the whole Bible is similar to my experience with, with these flowers. 
I'm someone who was born and raised in the church, and my wife is the same way. And even if you're not born and raised in the church, if you've been a Christian for a while, I think the Bible, the book itself, is is this thing that is beautiful. And we look at it from the outside, and it's this beautiful orange kind of look, or it's just a beautiful book, and it has a lot of, lot of wonderful things in it. But it's not until we look a little bit closer at God's Word that we start to see some of the intricate beauty that's within it. I think Psalm 119 is a perfect example of this. Uh, It's the largest chapter in the entire Bible. Okay, it's 176 verses. Each, uh, and, and those verses are split into 22 sections, one section for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And each of those sections has eight verses. Okay, yeah, so being that they each of these twenty-two sections start with a different, uh, you know, eight verses, and each each verse starts with the letter of that correlating Hebrew alphabet. So if it was like English, it would be Charlie eats cupcakes because they are cool, or you know, something along those lines. Uh, every every letter would start with a C, or but it would be in the Hebrew uh, Hebrew alphabet. When you go through Psalm 119, the entirety of it, which we're not going to do this morning, but when you go through, there are a lot of beautiful, wonderful themes. There's a lot of, a lot of attention given to the devotion and love for God's Word and teachings given to humanity in the form of the Bible. And one of these themes developed is the progressing story. Okay, there's a progressing story throughout this chapter. And uh, the psalmist has been detested throughout the duration of the song. He's being detested, and he's being betrayed, and he's ultimately being pursued for his life. We could spend hours, I think, reading and dissecting Psalm 119 for its themes and its design. We can try to learn Hebrew in order to have the reading experience, uh, to have a richer rhythm and rhyme as we read through it. Um, but now is not the time for the grand view of this. Now is the time that we as a church come together and look specifically at this one part of Scripture to see the intricate beauty that's, in, that's within it. So our passage for today, Psalm 119, verses 161 through 168, it's section 21 of 22, and here's how it reads. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. Psalm 119 is bright, is lit up with conflict. There's a lot of conflict that takes place in this psalm. David, who is the psalmist, is an important man in the kingdom of Israel. and He is fought and he is challenged throughout the course of his life. The problems, I think, could have begun even before the story of the Bible takes place uh, in David's life. But what we know is that when he was the young, he was the youngest of his brothers, and he was unexpectedly appointed, upsettingly appointed to be king. So he had people after him. He was sought after. 
he knew what it was like to grow up in an environment of being pursued and betrayed, even by people he might have trusted. King Saul sought to kill David. He did not like that King David was going to succeed, so he, he, he sought to kill David. David's son sought to kill him. Early on in Psalm 119, and now in Psalm 119, verses 161 through 168, we see the end of a progression where David is now actively pursued by his enemies for the purpose of taking his life. It starts out in verse 23, when the princes were only sitting together speaking against David. That's when they were coming together and saying, we just don't really like this guy. There's some things he's doing that I don't really like. How are we, what are we going to do now to take him out of this position and put in somebody else? Interestingly enough, when David's trouble with these princes first began, in verse 23, if you look at Psalm 119, his reaction has remained consistent throughout the entirety of the psalm. Even when they were just speaking out against him, David's reaction was to say, Though princes sit together speaking against me, your servant will think about your statutes. So David's encountered with a problem. And the problem is, some people don't really like him. Some people don't like that he's in the position that he is. Some princes have gathered together and spoken against David. In verses 161 through 162, David says, Princes persecute me without cause. Without cause. He couldn't find a reason for why they were doing this. But my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. So David's resolution to the attack from the princes and, and from the attack that is just initially against him was to say, my heart stands in awe of your words, and I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil or treasure. The attack and the discouragement against David was an ever-present force, I think. They bring hardship and problems to his life, even going so far as to make him unsafe and live in fear of his life. I think that can feel shattering, but David does not buckle. He does not buckle. What is David's response to this? David's response is to initially be in awe of God's words and to rejoice, not thinking how he has lost so much. But rather he understands that God's commands and his statues, statutes and his word is like great riches that make the nature of his surroundings dull in comparison to the wonder. But I think another problem comes up for David. I think it's a, it's a problem that can sometimes come up for us. What about a scenario? What about, your, what about a situation when it's not the people you distrust who pursue you, who discourage you, who try to hurt you, but what about the people you love? What about when it's the people you're supposed to trust? Maybe even more personally, what, 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 what about when it's you? Who's hurting you? 
David didn't buckle when his enemies were after him. Because in a weird way, I think you would have expected that. Wouldn't you expect your enemies who are pursuing you and, and wanting to take out your life and wanting to take, take you away from your position, wouldn't you expect them to lie and to betray you? That would be a little bit expected. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't probably eat a pie that my enemy said I baked this for you. I probably wouldn't do that. I don't think he would have done that. It's a little bit understandable in a weird way that David's enemies would want to kill him. But what about when non-enemies do? What about when it's your friends, people who you think you're friends who want to hurt you? What about when rumors start being spread by the people who you've only told these intimate details to in confidence? When people lie about you and speak falsehood about you and, and David, how discouraging would that be? I think we can expect enemies to lie, but suppose your closest friend we can expect the people who are against us to hurt us. But what if it's an internal conflict within yourself hurting you? It feels like that problem would be too much. I can understand my enemies coming after me, and I, I think I can muster that strength to uh, give my devotion to the Lord and understand that his word has great riches and great, is, is, is a great spoil. But that's too much. Where's my rest and my comfort when it's not my enemies who are coming after me? Where's my rest and comfort when I'm pursued and betrayed by the people I love? So what's next? I think this is the big point. When enemies pursue you, and they may pursue you, you may be betrayed. The truth of God's word, though, is a never-failing source of comfort, instruction, and a growing connection to the Lord. Enemies can pursue you. You might be betrayed. But the truth of God's word is a never-failing source of comfort, instruction, and growing connection to the Lord your God. The next thing for the psalmist after being pursued and battling lies, was again to praise. If we can compare and juxtapose falsehood and the word of God, we can see how good he is. Let David's words ring through your mind and come out of your mouth as if they are your own when he says in verses 165 through 168, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. And he's saying this after he's been betrayed by the people he loves most. David's love for the Lord grew through strife and trial. After each experience, he didn't buckle, but he built up. He praised the Lord for the Lord's words, and he remained connected to God the Father through his precepts and through his words that he has given us. After each encounter in this small section of this big song, the content of the resolution is the same. 
but the emphasis became greater. The content of the resolution is the same, meaning we praise Him. But when the, when the struggle gets harder, it gets more personal, it gets deeper, it gets harder to deal with, the thing that changes for David is the intensity with which he praises. The psalmist at first spends one verse reckoning on how he rejoices the wonderful nature of God's holy words after his first account of being pursued by princes. But then, when it comes up again and he's betrayed, he then spends five verses rejoicing. One of the worst things when, uh, that we can do when we feel attacked and alone is to disconnect. One of the worst things we can do when we are being attacked and when we're alone is to disconnect. And that means disconnecting from your local church, disconnecting from uh, the Bible, from your relationship with the Lord, or disconnecting from the Lord entirely. The longer we spend time admiring Him through the thick and the thin, the greater and the more precious His words are to us, and the closer we walk with Him. So I urge you to love his words, to appreciate God's teachings, and to use them to grow in your walk with the Lord. Church, will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we come before you as a community of believers. We are your people on this earth. We ask that you would bring us closer together, closer to you, and as a consequence of us growing closer to you, that we would grow closer together with one another. Father, we pray for this potential harvest that is in Huron, that is in Yale, that is in this part of South Dakota. We pray for the students that we speak our lives into, students at school, students in Sunday school, Father, we pray for the people in this, in this community who are being discipled and those who are doing the discipling. Father, would you please bring us as a family closer to you, drawn to you by the wonderful things you have done and the sacrifice that you have given. We love you. We praise you. And in the holy, precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. Thank you for listening to this sermon resource from BethelMBChurch.org. If you'd like to learn more about Bethel Church or find other resources, please visit our website at BethelMBChurch.org. Bethel Church exists to bring glory to God by promoting the joyful worship of Jesus Christ both here and abroad.